So which song did we read last week? None. None? There's a song about a nun? <laughs> that is the correct answer. We had Lord's Supper. But uh, which one would we have and the Lord willing we are going to look at for right now? 31. We were on a roll this It's Psalm 31. I'm curious. Sometimes in our Bibles they print a little heading. Is there a heading for Psalm 31? <coughs> What's it say, sir? To the chief musician of the Psalm of David. My rock and my fortress. My rock and my fortress? Okay. Um, <coughs> Be of good courage. That's a good. Anything else? Anybody else have anything? This is David showing his confidence in God craves his help. That's good too. <laughs> Mine says, praise for God's holiness. Pray for God's holiness. It's real good. He's a good. Anybody else? Mine says, keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, I think that says, it says that in all of yours. <laughs> so, something just tells me that, Brother Jack. Mine all right. says, my times are in my hands. My times are in my hands. God's goodness. God's goodness. Bales? Well, mine didn't have one. I provide my own. <laughs> I read the psalm several times and uh, look for what jumps off the page at me. And sometimes it's easier to do when you have a 24 verse psalm than when you have one like 117. That's Mr. Shorty. And then just two later, you have Mr. Tolly, 119. I subtitle this, God Our Confidence. But if you read it and you see certain things leap off the page, you'll find in this, more than once he talks about, Lord, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to come out in the short end of things. I... I want your name to be honored. All of those will come out as we read this. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's read the song. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thy ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, 
mine. For thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Thine, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I call upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardst the word, voice of my supplications, when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. As I read through that, I realized we need to be reminded we are not the ones we need to rely upon. Our confidence first, last, and always is to be in the Lord. Sometimes people say things like, well, you know, when all else fails, turn to the Lord. I was so proud of a dear sister by the name of Ruth whose husband 
was taken with an aneurysm. They rushed him to the hospital and the doctors struggled. Three times they called the family in to say, looks like this is it. But he pulled through and he lived how many more years? Six more years. And one of those times the doctors said, ma'am, we've done all we can do. He's in the Lord's hands now. And she said, doctor, he's always been in the Lord's hands. That's somebody who's listening. That's somebody who's reading their Bible. That's somebody who is internalizing what God has said. This is not supposed to go in one ear and just as quickly out the other. It's supposed to take roots. And it should bear some fruit. Okay? That's why we're to read the Word. Take it in. Meditate on it. I am a city boy. I don't know a whole lot about beeves, bulls, calves, cows, and whatever else you might call them. But I do know they chew the cud. We should chew on what God's Word has said. We should meditate. When you're going down 71 or Highway 8 or any other highway, or when you're in your house, or when you're in your yard, or when you're in your truck, think on these things. Keep these things before you. And if we have anyone in whom we can be confident, even the best of our friends can forget. Even the kindest of folk we know, even the closest of kin, they're going to die. They can't do everything. You can't either, and either can I. If we have a confidence, it must be in the Lord. There are some images that are brought out in this psalm that we've seen before, and the Lord willing, we'll see again. We see the Lord as our strong rock. He's our fortress, our strength, and it speaks of his shining face. There's a word, I hope you're familiar with, countenance. You know, if I walk up to you and you've just got a big grin going on, I said, there's somebody who's having a good day. I can tell by that countenance that something has gone their way. And then you see some people, they're mad, or they're sad, they're grumpy Gus, or whatever. Their countenance. God has a smiling countenance toward his precious people. Sometimes we do things that are just plain, I think the theological term, let's say they taught me it's, it's dumb. We do dumb things. We say dumb things. We speak before we should have spoken. Or we drag our feet and don't speak when we ought to speak. We are miscued many a time. But God is right on time 
It was just the right thing to say, just the right thing to do, just the right circumstances to afford us because he is the master craftsman. He is the one who is shaping our lives and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. You better trust the Lord because he loves you better than you love yourself. He loves you before mom, better than mom, dad, anybody else could, anybody else ever would. You must know that. When we look into this psalm, that's just the introduction, folks. But I found seven things here, reasons why we should rejoice in Him. He is, that is God is, He's our righteousness. He's our strength. We speak of His truth. We speak of His mercy. We think of His goodness, His kindness, and His help for those who hope. As we saw in the last verse, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all you that hope in the Lord. Now, I don't say all you who think about hoping in the Lord, or all you who ought to hope in the Lord, or all who, you who used to hope in the Lord or are going to hope in the Lord, do you right here, right now, hope in the Lord? If so, He is your help. He is your strength. He is your confidence. So two major thoughts. I want to give you the bad news and then the good news. In verse 9, he said, have mercy upon me, Lord, for I am in trouble. You ever been there? I have. I felt lower than a snake's belly. I felt like everyone was against me. I felt that I just could do nothing right. I'm probably not the only one that's felt that way. I may just be the only one. I'm the only one talking right now. But if you had an opportunity... You came to me one on one, you know, preacher. I felt that way sometimes myself. That helps you appreciate the Lord. A friend loves at all times. You know who your friends are. When you're down and you feel like you've been beat up and you've been deserted and nobody gives a hoot about you, and then there's somebody that steps up. Those are the friends you appreciate. Not the ones that like you when you're giving them goodies and patting them on the back and all of that. But I can relate to the psalmist who says, I am in trouble because man has some problems. And they're all cited, at least seven of them are cited in this psalm. Let's think about it. In verse 4, David says that his enemies have laid a trap for him. There are people who would be only too happy to trap you in your words. James 1.19, I hope you know it. It says, let every one of you be swift to hear. When God speaks, keep ears open. Let him finish. My problem sometimes, somebody will ask me, I do this to Marcia sometimes. It's confession night for me. Uh, she'll start to tell me something and I'll, I'll blow up. 
You let me finish this. Okay, sorry. I know I did that. I'm working on it. And more importantly, the Lord's working on me. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Sometimes, I mean, let me tell you my story. They go, they go, they go. And I'm ready to, oh, but there's more. Okay, okay. When they're all through, are you finished? And I'm thinking, and I'm praying, and I'm trying to draw mainly from what God's Word has said. And to give a response that would be honorable. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Watch out for the hothead. The person with the short fuse. The person just so ready to jump down your throat because maybe you picked the wrong word. You know, sometimes you can appreciate what Solomon said, that the word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. I hadn't been preaching long when I went to a meeting and there was another young man there. He was also... I think he had aspirations to preach. And he got up to read from 1 Corinthians 15. And with a straight face, he read, he probably didn't realize what he said. But he's reading from that passage in which he said, This mortal shall put on immorality. You know, he only left that one letter. And some people be quick to jump down your throat and say, You made a big mistake. But his enemies had laid a net, a trap for him. Now, as we saw in verse 9, he admits he's in trouble. You don't need to be looking for trouble because a lot of times you'll bring it on yourself or it'll find you. And the rest of verse 9 and verse 10, he tells us that he's grieved. And you'll find that many a time in the scriptures as well. If I wanted to take more than one Sunday per song, I would explore this more. But I'd rather have more in my notes and hold back to, to uh, exhaust everything here. And what happens? Verse 10 is this goes with sighing. I used to have a habit that really bugged Marsh's dad. He'd say something, well, no, we're going to do such and such. And I go, what are you doing that for? Oh, never mind. Well, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. That's on nerve. I don't like that. Okay, if you say it. doesn't do any good to, to just try to lay a guilt trip or whatever on somebody. But sometimes... All you feel like you can do is just to sigh. And also in verse time, uh, verse number 10, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity. One of the reasons I can't handle it is because I am a sinner. I may not know. I may not care. I may not have the stamina. I may not have the insight. I may not have the encouragement. Whatever reason or all the above. I mess up. My strength faileth me because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. 
I have, I was born with, well, in our family, I had two younger brothers. Randy, the middle brother, is still alive. But Jeff passed back in 2016. He died of a cancer that ate away at him. And at one point, Mom and I asked him, Jeff, just what's it like? And he says, I feel like termites are eating my bones. That's pretty graphic. I think if I could pick my way to pass, that would not be one of the ways I want to go. A long, drawn out, agonizing to have your bones consumed. Well, if only metaphorically, that's how David puts it here. And see how he, as a target, is perceived and dwelt, dealt with by others. Reproach is mentioned in verse 11. You know, to some people, once they made up your mind, you're no good, you can't do anything good, that's just the way it's going to be. Verse 11 and verse 13 mention fear. You know, the fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs says. If you're afraid of what people will say, if you do or don't do, if you say, if you do, uh, say about what you may, may say or may do, if you're afraid of men, if beholding men and thinking about what men are going to do, we must understand we stand before God. There was a man in English history. His name was Hugh Latimer. And he was a chaplain. And he spoke once to all the representatives of the King of England. And he told them, not the, what they wanted here, he told them they had messed up. He dared to have the courage to preach the truth and he preached about a holy God you know, we think about Nathan, who dared to tell David, Thou art the man! And that could have been his suicide speech, couldn't it? But the Lord worked with David. In fact, later on, David had a son, and he named him Nathan. But it doesn't always come out so nice and rosy, does it? Because when a man named John did that, he went to a king and he says, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. He lost his head, literally. He had his head chopped off. So it, they don't always come out like in the fairy tales, living happily ever after. And Hugh Latimer knew his Bible. He knew that sometimes you wind up like Nathan the prophet, and sometimes you wind up like John the Baptist the prophet. Jesus said he was even more than a prophet. And yet he dared to stand before all those advisors to the king. And the king heard about it. And the king wasn't stupid. He knew that Hugh Latimer was talking about him. And he called Hugh Latimer in to speak again giving Latimer the opportunity to take it all back. And 
Hugh Latimer stood up there and he said, Hugh Latimer, do you realize that you stand before a body of men who, with their word, you could have your head separate from your body? Yes, I know that. But Hugh Latimer, are you also aware that you stand before and you represent the God of heaven who can destroy both body and soul in hell? I know that as well. And he opened the same text and he preached the same message that he had before. We ought to do right though the stars fall. Dare to be a Daniel! Dare to stand alone. The threat of being thrown into a den of lions. He didn't, oh, I'll take it back. No. The three Hebrew worthies. When the king said, all right, guys, we're going to have the orchestra. Are you ready, fellas? You know, I, I thought Lawrence Welk was old when I was a little kid. I always thought that. Lawrence Welford, Atlanta 1, Atlanta 2. They're ready to crank up the organ. No, no, tell them they don't have to. If the Lord's pleased to spare us of that fiery furnace, that's his business. If not, we're still not going to bow before your image. We serve the Lord, and he alone we will serve. The world will heap reproach upon you. They will try to instill fear in you. <clears throat> that is the concern that you'll be forgotten, like he mentions in verse 12. And then in verse 13, slander. You know, if they can't take you out, they can at least soil your name, soil your reputation. They can talk about you. They can do anything and everything to try to undermine you. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel against me, they devised to take away my life. I don't have a lot of friends out there. The psalmist is saying. He knows that others are plotting against him. Those are seven problems mentioned just in this psalm. But the good thing to know is, no matter how bad it is, from our perspective, on the horizontal, when we look at the temporal, we need to see things with the vertical view, see things that are of eternal consequence. And that's what I want us to see, some six wonderful things about God who solves the challenges before us. In verse 7, the last part of the verse, he says, Thou hast known my soul in adversities. Your friends and your family might know you when you're on the top of the heap. They might know you when you're a hero, but what about when you're a zero? What about when you know you messed up or you know that there are people digging at you? There are people who they wouldn't do a bit of good, show a bit of kindness to you. But the Lord knows you when you are all alone. 
we read a psalm where a man cries out, no man cared for my soul. That'd be pretty bad. <clears throat> to feel like you have a friend in the world. I'm glad we sing that song, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Hope you know that that's so. Let's look at these six. First of all, uh, while we're here at verse 7, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. When we pray, don't ever think, I better get on my knees and get God caught up. God needs to know just how tough I'm getting it right now. Just how hard things are for me. No. I believe it's in Job. We read his confidence of the Lord. He knoweth the way that I take. God never has a V8 moment. Oh, I didn't mean to leave you in that mess there. I don't know what I was thinking when I let that stuff all dump on your head. No, he knoweth the way that I take. But that's not the end. Because some people say, I know you got a problem. <laughs> Hope you can get out of it. I told you I was in a situation once and I wasn't alone. Somebody said, you ever get in a bind? Give me a call. And I gave them a call and they said, take care of it the best you know how. Click. Talk about feeling left out in the world. But the Lord doesn't do that with his precious people. I hope you know that. He considers man's trouble. This is man who, I think I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to preach on Sunday through the week and sometimes some of the thoughts that I have in the AM message, they, they come out in the PM and vice versa. And I think I alluded this morning, so I don't think I've gotten senile. I don't think. But in the book of Job, he says, man that is born of woman is few of days full of trouble. Human existence is a challenge and God knows all about it. Don't ever go to the Lord and say, now Lord, you don't know how hard it is. He sure does. He considers man's trouble and what's he do about it? Look at the next verse. Hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. We sing a song sometimes. He, he is the one who he saw me in this pit. He pulled me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He gave a song. My tongue today. A song of love. Hallelujah. God knows and God shows to his beloved. He sets men's feet where they will be safe. Not long ago we looked at a book of the Bible. Not a lot of people read on a regular basis. The book of Habakkuk. But it is, he says, he set my feet as hinds feet. Up in the mountains where you need to be well 
footed or you are quickly dead. He sets men's feet where they will be safe. Look at verse number 15. David rejoices when he knows that his God is not just one with the best of intentions, but he knows that his own times and your own times and my own times as God's children, they are in God's hands, even unto death. See that verse 15? My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Many, many times we find reference to that. And again, for time consideration, I won't go to some other, but you'll, you'll see that again. Again, if you read, interestingly, if you read to learn, if you read to perceive what God has said, if you're just going through it, you know, we, we, we talked about you can go through and, and you can cover the Bible. When we were in Rhode Island, the pastor said, folks, I'm committed to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. And then later he said, you know, sometimes we just say, I've made up my mind, and so we need to read with a listening voice, somebody said. Well, we need to read in such a way that we're not just putting in the time. If I spend 25 minutes a day reading the Bible, I'll be a better Christian. Not if you're occupied with other things. Not if you're doing it just to say you did it. To take it in. To mull over it. To rejoice in Him. Go to verse 20 with me, please. Because God has a place. God has designed. And so he's, oh, I know when I die. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Absolutely. That doesn't mean <laughs> you're just kind of between pillar and post right now. Just try, try to make it the best you can. Look at verse 20. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. God has a place. People talk about a hiding place. And that's good. We need to know that we're under the covert of His wing. We need to know that we are regarded as the apple of his eye. We need to know that our, hand, our names are written upon the palms of his hands. We need to know about the Lord's great care. He has a place provided. And he is there in that place. We can rejoice in that. You know, a lot of people make a big mistake when they look at Revelation chapter 3. They think when they read that, I stand at the door and knock. They say, that means the sinner hears a knock at the door. And Jesus is knocking at the door and saying, please let me in. I'll make your life right. Somebody painted that as a picture 
They say, you know, there's no knob on the Lord's side because He can't and He won't open the door. The handle's only on the inside. They've developed a whole negative theology there. It's in a church letter. Amen. Has nothing to do with inviting sinners to Christ. There are many passages that do, but that's not one of them. The whole context is about churches. There are seven churches addressed in chapters 2 and 3. And you know what that last church is guilty of? They have plans. They have programs. They have personalities. And they're so busy with all that stuff they've cooked up. They're smarter than God, they think. They've got this program to do that and that to do that. I get stuff in the mail all the time. Hey, here's this great opportunity. And this whole thing's been developed by so-and-so or this group or whatever. And I just have to say, I wonder why the Lord didn't think of that. Why didn't that occur to the Lord? You know, if I didn't know better, I think some people think God's a nitwit who needs our help. We need to dream up something else. I think that passage of witty inventions, people have applied that to, way we can do such and such. We used to have a neighbor across the street in Benton who, uh, he came to me and he says, hey, we're having the power team. Did I ever tell you about the power team? They show up, rough and tough, phone book and that. Now let me tell you about Jesus. guys are strong. Is that the draw? Is that what we're supposed to be? Is that how we should target what we're doing? And the well-meaning young man across the street, he says, you know, we're supposed to be fishers of men. And sometimes you've got to change the bait, I think. You know, the worst part of it is those last two words, I think. You can suppose a lot of things. I've asked people a lot of theological questions. Well, I think, I suppose, I had a good friend named Tom who lost a grandson while an infant. And he says, Hey, what do you think? Now, here's what I think. I think such and such and such and such. He, he knew what he believed. And I said, well, I'd sure like to see some scripture on that. If the Lord is silent on a thing, I don't know if I want to stick my neck out and say, well, here's what I think. I ain't E.F. Hutton, folks. I don't give advice on investing, and I, I'm not going to go beyond the scripture. I want to give you the scripture because I got enough scripture to tell you without cooking up some of my own stuff here. But you see what it's saying here in verse 20? Thou shalt hide them in the secret. It leads me to know not everybody knows about it. Not everybody avails themselves of it. He has his way. Thou hast set me in a large, my feet in a large room, is what he said. Saw in verse 8. And then I want you to know that God preserves the faithful. When I was a 
little guy, I think I was Evan's age, my grandmother, my father's mother, was still alive. And I was in her house and she said, Stephen, I'm going to make some preserves. And I didn't know what she was talking about. And she put some, I guess it was poison berries or some kind of berries in a glass. And then she put, she called it paraffin, but it looked like wax to me. Put it on the top, and she says, you, this will keep, and you don't have to put chemicals or anything like that. It will preserve it. How long? Long time. You'll eat it before it goes bad. But that stuff on the top, it seals off the bad stuff and keeps the good stuff in. At least that's what my grandmother Rain said. But I want you, when God preserves, He doesn't put an expiration date on it. I asked a nutritionist lady once, I said, I understand there's one food and only one known to man that requires no refrigeration, no preservative, and yet it will keep indefinitely. And she knew. And she said, don't get the wrong idea when I say this. So what's that, honey? <laughs> she wasn't calling me her sweetheart. She was saying, honey, I understand they have found things buried away with old kings and captains of the past hundreds of years. And it's, some of it's dusty, some of it's dingy, the metal has tarnished. But the honey, you can still eat. I guess if you found some dimwits, you could probably make a lot of money selling them preservative for honey if you were a crook and they were really stupid because it's not necessary. But the Lord preserves the faithful. The Lord willing, in a few weeks, we'll be looking at Psalm 37. But if you'll turn there for just a moment. Because this also ties in with the last slide. In Psalm 37, look at verse 28. The first two parts of this three-part verse. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. You know when God will forsake his saints? Never, ever, 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 ever. It ain't happening, folks. The Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved in no expiration date. I looked at a bottle of super vitamins, supposedly. It's complex. And it says they're good until such and such a date in 2023. And well, we bought them way back last year. <coughs> And I thought, well, that's a long time off. But, hey, it's, it's 2022 20, now. But uh, there's like 300 bottle, there's pills in the bottle. And if it's good till 2023, I should use them up before the expiration dates. you got to watch expiration dates. Marshall went to get something. I got a coupon. <laughs> a coupon. They expired the 31st of December, 2022. 21, so it's no good anymore. But there's no expiration date on what our great God has done. 
concerning us. They are preserved forever. Now, keep one thumb there if you don't mind. Let's go back to our Psalm 31. Because the last thought points out there is such a man as the proud doer, the person who does because, hey, I got it together. I don't need God. Anybody, anywhere, anyhow, anytime. Look out. Love the Lord, all ye saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. But it goes on to say, and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Now maybe when you read that the first time, you thought, hey, that's, that's a good thing. I'm not so sure. Show me verses that say that we ought to be proud of what we do. Taking the credit and assuming that that's a good thing. If I did. I've been looking. There aren't any. The old flesh would love to have something along those lines. Now, I suppose the man who's the proud doer, man, woman, boy, or girl, I do it because I'm me. I'm special. Sometimes we get moralistic. My folks taught me better. I know better. Well, you ought to know better. and You should be thankful for proper rearing and all of that. But don't take pride in that. You're going to brag on somebody? Brag on oh, Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. And put no confidence in the flesh. Somebody says, you sure like that verse, don't you, preacher? Guilty as charged. Philippians 3.3 We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We looked at the first two of the three parts in Psalm 37, verse 28. And we rejoice in this good news. The Lord loveth judgment and forsaken by the saints. They are preserved forever. What's the opposite? But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. That's it. They might be strutting around today and six feet under tomorrow. No matter how much they may bluster and fluster and do all that they do, they come to their end. And God keeps the books. God sees to it. And so, I go back to close with verse 14. David has somebody to be boasting in. And you do and I do as well. And that's the Lord. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. Sometimes we say, God is on my side. That's really not the way I look at it. Somebody wrote the song, Who is on the Lord's side? We need to say, I would be on the Lord's side. Toward the end of his life, Mr. Joshua, he had led the Hebrews into the promised land. He finished the task which Moses began and Moses died and God said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now take up the standard and finish the task. 
didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen without a lot of effort. But they did. They they conquered Josh, uh, Jericho, AI, and all of that. And by the way, I used to choke on it, but the Bible does say everything that God promised them concerning real estate came to pass. It all came. There's something. One of these days, the Jews are going to get their land. Okay. They took care of that. God took care of that. But toward the end of his life, right there, if it's not the last, it's one of the last chapters of the book of Joshua. And I've seen it in a lot of plaques, and that's good. He says, you choose who you're going to serve. I'll tell you what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every Christian family, they ought, if they don't have a sign like that on the wall, that ought to be an understanding. A young Christian couple, they say, well, what, what, what's a good, good way to go? We got word from a young couple that uh, came to us for marital, premarital counseling. And, and they said, what do you think about it? And they said, what kind of car should we get? What kind of house should we look for? What kind of perks should we look for in the job? What should, what kind of circles should we move in? And they were asking all these things that are of minimal importance, if even that. And I said, are you going to rear your children in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? What is going to be most important to them? But well, we want them to have the best education. We want to have the best teeth. We want to have them have the best posture. And they think about these other things. I'm not saying those things don't have their place. But what is most important? You get a godly man, a godly woman, and they're before God and their fellow men. They are committed to live together and to love one another as they love God. God first to the husband and his wife second. To the wife, God first and the husband second. And the children reared up in that atmosphere. So you heard of Ken Ham. He likes to tell people the objective that God has is to have Godly people marrying and having children that they can raise up a righteous seed and inculcate in them. Teach them the things of God. Why? So that as they mature, they marry godly ones and they can raise up a righteous seed and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Satan wants to say there are alternative lifestyles. Satan wants to say, forget about these old-fashioned ways, those old mores. He'll laugh at those things. Call them old-fashioned. Oh, some things are maybe old-fashioned, but they're not so bad like uh, soap and water. Some things like good sense. Well, God has a purpose. If we follow His plan, His purpose, if we don't, 
How long would it take for our country to completely come apart at the seams? How long would it take for our churches to cease to exist? How long would it take for the priorities and the principles that we value so highly, how long would it take for that to just become stuff in a museum? It wouldn't take 500 years. It wouldn't take 200. It wouldn't take 100. One generation. We're just one generation away from totally dropping the ball. We can't do much about the generation before. And we can only put ahead toward the future. But right here, right now, that's why we live for Christ. Right here, right now. Some wise person said that's why it's called the presence. God has given us a gift. Now, he gave us 2021, but that's expired. You can't do anything in 2021 now, at least unless you invent a time machine. I don't think that's going to happen. But you had 2022. Who is your confidence in 2022? I hope it's the Lord. That's the only one who's not going to let you down. That's the only one that's not going to leave you in the lurch. He is our confidence. Let's stand for a word of prayer.